Please take your Bibles. Turn to the book of 1 John chapter 2. Oh boy, when I see 1 John, it takes me back. It was three years ago I was preaching through the book of 1 John. And boy, that's when the COVID broke out. And half the sermon was face to face and half of it was online. And well, those were quite the days. But this is just such an important book to speak to us about relationships. Relationship with God through His Son. Relationship with one another through His Son. And um, also our relationship with people in the world. And in the name of His Son, that relationship is affected. And um, I, I, I hate to use this term, but a relationship with Satan, which is uh, uh, warfare, resistance, things like that getting our armor on. But it's a great book about relationships. And and quite frankly, I've used this book um, sometimes in marriage counseling because the same principles that tell me how to love God and what that looks like, how to love the brotherhood, what that looks like, needs to be applied right there too. You know, one time somebody made a very good point to me is that there's only a few places in the Bible <clears throat> that are specifically mentioning marriage relationship with husband and wife, and you can even include the, the parent-child part. There's relatively a small amount, but the, that's not really all of it. All the other places that tells you how to treat your neighbor, how to treat your brothers in Christ, things that we call common courtesy, if we forget that in the home, if we forget that in, the, in our marital relationship and our family relationship, we're, we're, we're being very careless. So really, all of that plus the emphasis on, on what wife and husband, husband and wife means uh, to God and to each one of us. Well, anyways, that was just a little commercial. I start with 1 John chapter 2 and uh, verse 15. Now I'm going to skip past the chapter division, which it's a good thing to do that sometimes. Don't, don't think that the chapter divisions were originally written that way. That's something we added later. Going to chapter 3, verse 3. 1 John 2, 15 to chapter 3, verse 3. Okay. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, or literally it is passing away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, Even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But you have an unction from the Holy One. And you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? 
He is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Whosoever denies the Son, the same has not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing or unction which you have received of him abides in you. And you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. That when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that does righteousness, in other words, practices righteousness, is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he, referring to Jesus, is pure. We're going to stop our reading there, and I'm going to not be able to explain all those verses to my satisfaction or yours, perhaps. But the question today is, what should we think of the world? And the first thing we need to know when trying to think about the world is, what does the word world mean? Basically, the word is used to describe any orderly arrangement. It can be used to describe the material universe and our planet, It can be used of governments or kingdoms. It applies to the people of the earth or just certain groups or categories of people. It can be used to describe uh, many other categories and spheres of structure and order. And we could talk about the world of sports or the world of science or the world of dogs or, you know, all that. But the Greek word cosmos... And doubtless you've heard it because it gets used here and there, often by people who don't believe God created this world. But uh, nonetheless, cosmos uh, is a word that can uh, describe things that are adorning. And we we get the English word cosmetics from it, cosmetology. Cosmetology is not studying the stars in the universe. It's studying people's faces and their hair and all that kind of stuff. The, the, I don't know if they say it anymore, but I remember a long time ago, a lady would get up and say, oh, I haven't put my face on yet. <laughs> Which makes you wonder what, what a husband wakes up to in the morning if she has to put her face on. But, but getting things in order, arranged, even decorated, is something that the word cosmos can be used for. So um, there's a lot of variety there. So what should we think of the world? Well, we should be careful to make sure we know what we're talking about. Because we, we have a text here that tells us to not love the world. 
And here, the text is describing, clarifying an ungodly antichrist kingdom that promotes lust and pride and is contrary to the love of God. This world does not desire to embrace God or the people of God. And yet, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How does God tell me not to love the world when he loved it? Let's make sure we know what we're talking about. The same God who says he loved this world and gave his Son also told us not to love it. So we're talking, on one hand, about uh, this ungodly system. This Antichrist system, we'll, we'll, we'll clarify it a little more as we go along. And, and we aren't to get uh, caught up in that and under the control of that. But when God loved the world, it wasn't that system he was talking about. And it wasn't uh, the mere planet. It was a world of people. It's about souls. It's like, here's the Titanic sinking. You're not going to save that ship you're going to get people off that ship on the lifeboats, save them from it. So the people in this world need to be saved from the world. I'm kind of a broken record. I've been saying that a lot. So it's somewhere between emphasis by repetition or senility. I'm repeating myself a lot here. <clears throat> so the world is full of sinful people that need grace and mercy or they will perish. So yes, we can love the world like God loved the world. And, and he loved the world so much that he gave. Matter of fact, he sacrificed his only begotten son. That people could be saved from this world, from their sin. Which is the makeup of the worldly system we're not to love. Okay, so our main focus will be the book of 1 John. As we consider, for the most part, the world which is ungodly, unbelieving, and antichrist in nature. So our, our, our first thought about the world is the world is full of sin. And if I say that, I, I'm also mentioning unbelief. We're not just talking about bad habits. We're talking about an intrinsic uh, set of values and desires and agendas that are not considering the pleasure of God, not seeking the glory of God. And that's because people don't truly believe. Last week, we talked about what is the problem. And the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that uh, did understand and seek him. And they've all gone aside. They are corrupt. There's none that doeth good. Okay, that's just brief there. Psalm 14. The, the problem is the foolishness of sin and unbelief. And, and our, our message also then said, who is the answer? Not what, who is the answer? And that was wrapped up in verse 7. You can go back and look at that message, but a little spoiler here, it, it's Christ. Christ came to deliver us from the world, but he also bought the rights to conquer the world and rule it and reform it himself. He's going to do that one day. He's going to do that one day. We can look forward to that. But right now we need to understand what, what we're working with and what's trying to work with us. This world is the dark kingdom of Satan. Okay, uh, 1 John 5, 19. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. And we know that we are of God 
and the whole world lies in wickedness, or your Bible may correctly say, the wicked one. Now, I like to get the best of two worlds when I can, so it's the wickedness of the wicked one. It's something more personable than just an abstract idea of sin as disobedience. And if you don't really believe in the devil, you don't really believe in God because God made it very clear there's a war going on. There's a personality, a powerful personality that is, uh, he's on the decline, but he's our adversary. He goes around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. His goal is to dishonor God and to take down everybody he can, especially keeping them from the light of Christ. And so the world is lying in a deliberate anti-Christ atmosphere in which the wicked one is in charge. He's calculating carefully how to uh, dishonor God, how to weaken Christians, and how to prevent other people from becoming Christians. If you don't understand that warfare, you're vulnerable. If you don't understand this warfare, you're going to be out on the battlefield wearing pajamas instead of armor. So we're here to warn you. Um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. See if I have time for a few of these extra references here. But, but uh, these are so clear, uh, they need to be emphasized. Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, uh, what is it? 1 through 3. And you hath he quickened, okay? Quickened means he's made you alive. This implies you were dead. You were dead, spiritually dead, dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, and uh, you had to be made alive. You had to be born again. Jesus told uh, a, a perfectly nice religious leader who was doubtless full of many good works that he could uh, point out in his life, but he told that man, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. And by see, he meant you won't even comprehend it. It's not just you'll see it one day when you die. You need to see it now. And many people have this attitude, well, I'll do the best I can and we'll see what happens at the end. You know, I'll find out then. Well, no, you need to find out now. We read in 1 John 3, beloved, now are we the children of God. Isn't that great to know? Yeah, I used to think people that said that were arrogant. Oh, how many of you know if you die tonight, you go to heaven and people would raise up their hands in these meetings and I'm looking around and I'm thinking, who do they think they are? Boy, aren't they something? And then I'd quickly stick up my hand because if I didn't, they'd see me and nail me after that meeting, you know. So I was being a hypocrite. But I stuck around. And the next time someone tells you they don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites, just be glad they're sticking around because they're in the right place to hear the truth and they can stop being hypocrites by becoming born-again believers. When I found out that these people raising their hands were putting their confidence in Christ, that God sent him to be our Savior, to pay for our sins, to change our lives, to come in and live his life through us. When I found out what it was all about, I was in. I was in. I wanted that. And I was, I was sick of that other little calculator thing where uh, you get five points for that good deed, Alex. Oops, I've got to take away three for that bad thing. And here's two more points. Oh, got to take away one. Here's one more point. Oop, taking five away here. You know, I can't keep count. So the idea that I'm going to wait till I stand before God and he's got the calculator out here. We're talking about the old-fashioned kind, the ones that you go clink-clink with the handle. You know, I, I got to do that because it makes more noise. It's more graphic. At the end, he hits the total. 
And if you're in the black, come on in. If you're in the red, go to hell. That's not the way God wanted us to live. He wanted us to have assurance. He describes the, uh, the knowledge of the assurance of salvation as a helmet that protects your head. You don't want the devil's crowd and the religious crowd mixing up your head about this because you can't go into this without this assurance I'm talking about. And this is not pride. My boast is of the Lord. Well, anyways, I better get back to Ephesians 2 here. And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. You know, we're talking about Lucifer here. We're talking here about Satan, the devil. He, he influences this world and we're under his influence. Whether we know it or not, whether we want it or not, we're under that influence it says in verse 3, among whom we also had our manner of living. That's that old King James word conversation here. But we had our manner of living in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature. That means we acted just like anybody else. We weren't a little bit better than the others. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And it'll be my pleasure to get to the word but in verse 4 later. Things get turned around. You were dead in trespasses and sins, but you're alive in Christ now. I want to, want to talk about that when it's time. Meanwhile, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, see the small g? It better be small in your Bible. God of this world, and talk about that Antichrist world, that kingdom of darkness. He has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So there's a deliberate warfare going on here. And, and, you know, Satan has different tactics to match the, the, the mindset of different people. You know, if, if you want a very uh, atheist, materialistic view of life, if you want to be just purely so-called scientific, and you just want facts, you know, Satan has that kind of thing for you. If you want to be religious, he's got that for you, too. And, and what it boils down to is, he either puts you totally in the dark and you overtly are doing evil, and maybe even thinking it's good, or he blinds you with light, false light. I suppose it, it still happens today, but I, I had this impression of the old flash cube in the camera, and everybody's supposed to look their best, and all of a sudden, boosh, this explosion of light comes, and then you see a dot, maybe blue, you know, uh, and it's affected your retinas for a moment. But light can blind as well as darkness. So false religion, false teachings, uh, well, we're getting to that. That's going to be the next point here. But we see that the people of this world, they're motivated by lust and pride. That was in our, our text that we originally read. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, 
I think I got that backwards. For all those in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Okay, I can't go deeply on this, but there is that lust, which is the feeding the animal instincts and desires and habits and patterns. Um, You know, I grew up in the hippie age and just do what's natural. Just do what comes naturally. If it feels good, do it. You know, these were common things bopped around in my day. And that's why some people just are about this. They just simply acting out, no restraints. This is what feels good. I'll do this. And unless you really clobber me or really hinder me, I'm going to do it. When it becomes inconvenient and something that I don't want to get caught at, maybe I'll restrain myself. But then there's that thing called the, the lust of the eyes. And I've heard this described different ways, but let's just put it this way. Jesus said, if you look on a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery already. All I needed was my eyes. And unfortunately, with the rate of material my eyes can be exposed to, I don't even need more. I got a whole memory bank and I can watch movies inside my head. That's, uh, uh, <laughs> There's like a little theater inside of us. And uh, you're sitting there, and God's sitting there. What you watching? What are you meditating upon? So to have the eyes fixed on something is about desire. You may not get to do it. You know what? People that are unattractive, people that are not healthy, they still have a lust life. They've pumped their head full of things. And, and you know, I've worked in healthcare. I've worked with people with disabilities and all kinds of things. And, and you know what? They're not exempt from having passions and desires. And they do what they can. Let's just put it this way. The, the, the person who wants to be the friend of the world, James says in James 4, uh, he's the enemy of God. He didn't say the person who actually acquires a friendship with the world. The person who wants to have that friendship. You know, even, even that fact that I, the, the world says I'm a nerd, the world doesn't want me, but oh, I wish. And God's watching that. And, and so all kinds of people, not just the, the healthy, good-looking, wealthy, no, all kinds of people have to battle with this thing called the lust of the eyes, what we set our eyes upon. Don't look on that wine that turns itself aright, we're told in Proverbs. It isn't uh, about how much you're drinking, it's about what you're thinking. What's this going to give me? What will this do for me? You know, advertising is all about this. You know, I've been watching advertising for quite a while now, but basically uh, I've been told by the world that if I drink this beer, I'll have a a bikini babe on each arm and we'll be sailing a yacht. We're going to have this good time. Or I drink this wine, this lady in a long black velvet thing, skin tight. She's going to walk up and we get this thing. And so we go to taverns, we go to places where we're going to drink up and meet somebody who thinks we're cool because we're all drinking. And, and you know, it's, it, it's that look. If you never even did it, it's still the look and the saying, oh, wow, I wish. I wish. There's people who are very religious who battle this inside their hearts. You know, I got to do this because I'm a Christian. I can't do that because I'm a Christian. You know, and the question is, are they really a Christian? Are they? We, uh, we all have battles with it. We all would have to be honest and say oh, nobody's exempt from different kinds of lusts. The question is, do we accept it? Do we tolerate it? Do we make a place for it? And our battle as Christians is to, to bring down these strongholds. Second Corinthians 
chapter 10, bringing down strongholds, every high thought that exalts itself against the, the, the knowledge of Christ. Good, honest warfare against it. I don't say, well, I'll do this knowing, oh, you know, 1 John 1, 9 says, all I do is confess again, he'll forgive, yeah. He also says he'll cleanse. And so we're, we're looking for him to deliver us from not just the penalty of sins, but the power the deceitful power of sins that's, that seduce me and drag me down. So uh, uh, the world is full of people that open throttle. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, oh, and the pride of life. It's all about me. What can I get out of this life? I don't care if I have to step over other people's heads to succeed. The goal is to die with the most stuff, right? And, and so we, we could... Well, we could spend a long time here because this is what the whole world's made of, and it comes in various forms. Some very materialistic, some pleasurable, some violent, uh, some financial, some political. I mean, you, you hit every area, even religion and philosophy has a way of drawing the pride of people into it. You know, if I, if I write a book on humility and how I obtained it, you know, there'd be something wrong with that. It's something you always ask God for, but you never thank him. Because you know there's more. And you know in a moment you can slip. So humble and proud of it doesn't work. The world is full of sin. The world is full of hostility towards God and those whom God loves. And I have to ask the Holy Spirit to make a lot of application for you because this shows up in every arena of the world, every world within this world. At best, the world humors uh, and or avoids God and his people. There's a certain kind of a tolerance. It's getting to be less today. Uh, There's a certain amount of avoidance. And you maybe haven't noticed yet there's people that stop talking when you walk in the room. Uh, they, it's t- uh, my break's over, i got to go. You know, there's, there's people who don't find a way to be around you. They find a way to not be around you. And sometimes you know it, sometimes you don't. But this is what they're doing. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Beloved, be, or behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. This is not an intellectual knowledge. This is that identification in which you openly know somebody. You're not, you, you're not afraid to see them in public. You know, um, when you have teenagers, you, know, you, you, you may just be idolized by your little kids. When they become teenagers, something happens, and pretty soon teenagers, you're walking you know, somewhere, and they're on the other side of the path. They're on the other side of the mall or wherever you're at. And I don't know them. Sometimes we deserve it, you know. If we're at that family reunion and we're dancing on the table, maybe the kids ought to avoid us. But, but the fact is that we become an embarrassment. They don't want to be identified with us. And, and we do this with people. And let's take it where it's written here. They don't want to be caught in this world with a reputation of loving God. That's the last thing they want. So they do what they can to avoid that. And uh, they may humor religion. I mean, there's many a person has a membership in a church somewhere, and they're only humoring God. 
just so that they don't they want a fight on either side, so they just humor it. But then we take the worst case scenario where the world actively, openly hates God and his people. Now, sometimes they camouflage the hatred. They do subtle things. But believe me, this exists in the world of religion. You know, the hardest people to, to reach for the Lord with the gospel are the people who already think they're Christians. They go to a church. And any attempt to talk about the nature of the new birth and, and, and to get discernment about our, our fruits or anything like that, instead of welcoming it, they're offended. What do you mean? I have a church. Oh, my, my mother, my grandmother, my great-great-grandmother all went to this church. You know, and, and this wasn't the discussion. And I've seen people offended uh, if someone comes up and asks them about their conversion. That's none of your business. How dare you? Because they don't really have much to say about it. There's so many people, all they have to say is, yeah, I was baptized as a baby. I was catechized. Confirmed. Oh, I forgot the baptized, the sprinkling of a baby. Baptized, catechized, pastorized. You know, I've been through the process and I come out the other end after confirmation. Christian. So I don't think there's really anything to talk about. And they think you're being very nosy. You know what? I love it when somebody asks me if I'm a Christian. I love it when somebody wants to know about my, my experience of coming to Christ. I love to talk about it. Not just because I'm a pastor. I was that way before. But it gives you a chance to share the love of God. And, and, and it'll bless somebody who's a Christian. And you know, there's sometimes you, you might get an inquiry and the person isn't a Christian. Your testimony is going to help them to see something they need. They may be saying, what's this all about? Tell me your story. You know, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, to sanctify the Lord God in your heart and to be ready to give an answer of them that ask you of the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear. And so we, 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 we sanctify the Lord in our heart. We create an environment where, where, where he is first place in our minds and in our heart and we're trying to live for him and speak for him and think with him and, and all of that. And then somebody says, there's something different about him. I want to know. And they ask, and you're so happy they asked, right? This is what life really ought to be about. But the world is hostile, wants to fight this. Um, uh, i got to watch out how many of my side points, but I have to tell you about 1 Corinthians 2. Fresh off the press, it's, it's the one I'm afraid if you read it on your own, you might say, what was he actually getting at here? Why did he use that verse? And... and uh, If you don't know why I put it in there, you won't get the benefit that I feel I've gotten from it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to start with um, verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. I'm going to stop here a second. We just got done having that quote from the Old Testament. Eye hath not seen, nor ear hath heard. Eye hath not seen, nor ear hath heard the things which the Lord has prepared for them that love him. I think that's an Isaiah passage, but I may be wrong. And a lot of people stop there and they say, well, you know, heaven's such a wonderful place and can't wait to see it, which is fine. 
I haven't seen it either. I want to. And, and, and we can say, well, you know, nobody has seen that yet. Except John when he wrote Revelation. I guess he did. But, but, but the fact is, that passage is more than about the concept of what you experience after you die. Because Paul goes on to say in verse 10, but God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. Now, the things that God has prepared for them that love him doesn't start in heaven when you die. It starts when you believe, when you're born again, when you're made a new creation in Christ. That's when he starts revealing more and more and more. You know, eventually we get to that place in Romans 8 when it says the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We have received glory. I don't have time to develop all those great references that, that talk about this, but if you read the last part of John 17 when he's praying, he has manifested glory to his people. There's more to come, yes, but here Paul's telling us it's not the spirit of the world that we were given. It isn't all about operating with logic and just you know earthly wisdom and trying to make everybody feel good about us. No, we're getting things from God's Spirit, and it's different than what the world could ever imagine. Things that are freely given to us of God now. Verse 13, things also which we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Okay, that, that means you are looking at Scripture all over the place and seeing connections. The next time you read that Scripture, you maybe have been looking at a different Scripture. You make another connection. That's why the Bible doesn't wear out if you've tried we get a little wore out, but the Bible doesn't. It still is a source of blessing after blessing. Or like uh, John 1, uh, 7, 16 says, grace upon grace. Grace after grace after grace after grace after grace. And it's not just learning Bible verses and teachings. It's about learning to discern what's going on in life. You interpret the world with the Bible. You don't interpret the Bible by the world and what's happening in your life. And you start identifying things that God has said. You start uh, seeing promises in action being fulfilled. You start seeing warnings that God said being fulfilled. And you're, you're getting lessons from life. And the scriptures are guiding you so you stay between ditches and don't go off on your imagination here. But he's revealing and he's revealing and he's revealing. And we say things that other people think we're nuts. They don't understand it. Okay, verse 14, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And it's that discernment he's going to talk about a little bit farther here. But he that is spiritual, now my Bible says judges all things. It would be appropriate to say here, discerns, understands all things. It doesn't mean you know everything that's in the Bible. It doesn't mean you're an expert. But, but you understand the tenor of Scripture. You understand where it's going. You know how to get help. You have that unction, that anointing. You have the Holy Spirit within you as a teacher. And so you're, you're not utterly dependent on some church to define everything and tell you what to believe and tell you what to do and tell you what not to do. And You have something already with here. When I get up here and teach you, I'm, I'm depending on the Holy Spirit to confirm and, and you're, you're searching the scriptures to see if these things are so. And, and if they aren't confirmed, then we got to talk. 
right? But the Spirit of God is the teacher. And so the natural man doesn't have that. So what he doesn't understand, he doesn't like. What he doesn't like, he gets rid of. It annoys him. It makes him afraid. It bothers him. That could be exemplified by many things we've seen in our lives as well as in Scripture. But he that is spiritual, now I'm not talking about the the, the Green Beret or the Navy SEAL Christians. I'm talking about those who have the Spirit of God. You are spiritual. If you aren't, you're not born again. That's what I'm talking about here. There's other times where he that is spiritual talks about mature spirituality and elevated. But quite frankly, we're talking contrasting the natural man with the spiritual man. You need to be the spiritual man. And ladies, that means you too. It's the generic word for mankind. Okay? We need to be spiritual. We need to get out of the realm of the darkness of the flesh and of the world and be born again and brought into the light. And and we're, we're indwelt by the Spirit and He's leading us. Okay, so He can understand things the natural man can't. Yet He Himself is judged of no man. Now, your Bible hopefully will say something like understood. By no man. So that's why you can talk to somebody and they're looking with a glazed look like a deer in the headlights, wondering, what in the world did you just say? That sounds crazy. I don't get it. But they might not long go, uh huh, uh huh. Just, you know, like I used to stick up my hand so people leave me alone, won't bug me. But the fact is, they wonder, where are they getting this? They're fanatics. They must wear tinfoil hats in church or something. They're nuts. Verse 16 asks a wonderful question. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Now, that, that's that's an, uh, an obvious answer. Nobody can instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. You're talking to people in this world who do not have the mind of Christ yet. Something wonderful has to take place in which they will have faith in the Son of God who will then come into their life and transform them, make them new creation in Christ, and they will get this mind of Christ. And it's a baby one at first, and they have to grow. But we got to remember what we're working with. We need to remember who we were like. We were the same way, but by the grace of God, we wouldn't know. So uh, I'll let you read 12, Roman, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Get some good thoughts from there about not being conformed to this world, but being transformed. But the third thing here is the world is full of false prophets with a worldly message. Okay, so we have some people who talk about Jesus, but their message is full of error. And if you would look at 2 Corinthians 11, you'll find Paul referring to the fact that some people preach another Jesus. They borrow the name Jesus. They may even borrow a few stories or phrases. I've, I, I listened to a Hindu type of guru talking about Jesus. Oh, it made everybody get a warm, fuzzy feeling. Oh, he believes in Jesus. But he didn't believe a thing about the Jesus of the Bible. It was not teaching what he teaches. It was not pointing people to him really. But he made up enough Jesus to make him look better, his message better, so people let their guard down. Uh, there's an outbreak of people who are Christians, or at least have said they were, that are getting very fascinated with uh, Buddhism and this peace thing. And they they think, oh, that's compatible with Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. And and go into the details. The messages are not alike at all. 
We have the most unique message, folks. Everybody else has some road you've got to go uphill to attain something. Our message is that we're down in the pit, can't get out of it. Jesus came down, jumped in the pit, and got us out. Instead of making sacrifices to God, God made a sacrifice for us. We're the only one who teaches that. Who would have made that up? Only the mind and heart of God. But we have the spirit of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. But there's these other teachers. Now, now some of them teach about Jesus, but it's not really Jesus. It's not really the gospel. Now, some openly talk against him. They, they are openly antichrist in spirit, in word, and action. Best way I can handle this right now, watching my time, is to go to 1 John chapter 4. And some of you may remember that 1 John chapter 4 was a turning point in my life. I had this notion as a teenager that churches were all full of hypocrites and they're all no good. And um, though my parents had convinced me the Bible's the Word of God, I, uh, I figured me, God, the Bible... And out in the woods, Grizzly Adams, me and a big bear and a Bible, and you know, it all sounded good to me. Until I found out God sent his son to be with people, not with bears. And this passage came along because I was so worried about how wrong everything was. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try or test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Now, one of the main purposes that John is writing about this and we may not understand from the text, but in his day, a thing called Gnosticism, a false kind of knowledge. It, it, it wasn't an organization of its own. It was a type of thinking that could be very contradictory. Uh, it often was very against material things. And, and if you know what asceticism is, they tried to deny the flesh. And it was very rigid kind of thinking. It could also rebound and make people not even... Think about what they do with their bodies. It's only a mental thing. And they thought they were holy, and they didn't care what they did with their bodies. And they could be very wicked with their bodies, but as long as their mind was there. This had crept into Judaism, crept into Christianity. It was starting to creep in. But at the time I was seeking the Word of God, and God was having the talk with me that I needed, here's how I boiled it down in a very simple way, is... The people that confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, you know, a lot of churches can have a statement uh, of belief in their file cabinet. It's down in there somewhere that Jesus Christ came in bodily form. But do they talk about it? No. They're off on social issues or trying to make everybody happy and keep them all together, having enough activities so the church stays big and the offerings are good. At this point, God started showing me there's people who were dedicated to declaring who Jesus is. That he's real. 
And they were able to make him real to me by the way they taught from the scriptures. And, and, and this is what I needed at that time. I learned about Gnosticism later. Maybe you want to learn about Gnosticism sometime because it has a way of creeping into lots of things. It's creepy stuff. It's like putting creamer in the coffee. It, if, if you stir it, it, it just changes the color of the coffee, but you don't have a lump of it. It's all spread out. And a lot of people don't recognize how contaminated the teaching of their churches or their own understanding is because this Gnostic thing has crept in there. They don't wave a flag called Gnostic. You have to discover it. It's sneaky. It's camouflaged. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to 1 John 2 because of time, but if you, that passage, 1 John 2, 18 through 27, you, you, you heard it already. I read it at the beginning. But I write these things because of them who seduce you. They seduce you either with another Jesus or some philosophy that makes you avoid Jesus and think something else is the way. Okay, so um, I keep reading in 1 John 4, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Okay, all this false teaching, all this unbelief, all these false prophets, you've overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Yeah. You see, in order for you to see the light and walk in it and not get off in the ditches, you've got to be possessed but possessed of the Holy Spirit, possessed of Christ. When he comes to live inside you, you know, he describes his spirit as uh, this seal. It's, it's uh, like a voucher. It's like uh, when someone gives earnest money. They've made a deal, and this money goes down, and, and this money will be lost if I back out of the deal now. So when the Son of God purchased us, he left the Holy Spirit is like a down payment. You believe his promises. Now you're seeing the Spirit of God is upon you. And in order for me to go to hell, he'd have to go to hell too. Because he says, I'm not leaving. So because of that, he perseveres. You go astray, he tugs you. You, you try to go backwards, he pushes you. you. You try to do something else, he might just plumb knock you down and then get you back up. But the, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And the Holy Spirit is this friend who will not leave us. He, he's, he's given a word, um, uh, the, the advocate or the uh, paraclete, uh, the, the comforter, the helper. But uh, he is one who stands by you. you know, Jesus himself is called an advocate, but the same word describes his spirit. And he's not leaving. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going away. And that's why you're still here. And if you tried to get away, you knew it. Like an electric fence thing, you know. There's this electric choke collar around your heart. And you're feeling the pinch when you go too far. That's how he keeps us. And so greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He didn't say, um, you've done a great job, your intellectual prowess, your willpower, you know, your discipline. No, it's because you have Jesus. If you didn't have him, this wouldn't be happening. Verse 5, they are of the world. And get the they and the we here. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. Boy, could I go off on that. I grew up in churches that wanted to talk about politics and religion, you know, religion, uh, social issues, and, oh, ad nauseum. A little bit of scripture be sprinkled over it. 
But I got sick and tired of hearing commentaries about America's involvement in Vietnam. In church, really. I try to be careful about that here. We have so many tempting issues, and some of them are pertinent to the subject of the gospel and the truth. But we have to be very careful that we don't get sidetracked off and and start just talking about the world and fighting the world, trying to save the world. No, we're here to save people from the world. Have you heard that somewhere before? Good. But the world listens to this. They buy this. Verse 6 says, we are of God. Now, John is an apostle. John is one of the writers of Scripture. John is one who was trained by Jesus. We are of God. And it says, he that knows God hears us. Now, now we, we better be the we that know God here. But we're identified by saying, I don't want to hear what the world has to say anymore. You know, I'm, I'm sick of the news. I'm sick of all this other hype. I'm going to get myself in the Word of God and around the people of God and fellowship in the truth. And, and that's where I'm going to make my decisions. And he that is not of God does not hear us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And, and the Lord just wonderfully showed me that heresy, false teaching, false religion, is standard stuff in the world. You can expect it. We've had 2,000 years to mess things up, and we already had a foundation of messed up religion because of what the Jews had done over the last how many hundred years. That's why if you look at what Jesus did with the Pharisees, you can also see what he's doing with people today that say they're Christians. But he also said to me, Alex, there are people who are listening to me. They listen and and they guide their lives. They're directed by the scriptures. You go find them. You put them to the test. You take that Bible. You take the words of, of the Son of God and you go look for people that are really actively talking about him. And you can back it up with scripture. They're out there. So I couldn't sit back on my blessed assurance and do nothing and just say, ah, the world's all falling apart. All the churches are... No, I had to say, wait a minute. There's a lot of confusion out there, but I have a, I have a light. And I got to look for the real thing. And you know what? It was there. Quite frankly, under my nose. The town I lived in, they had more Bible preaching churches than I ever imagined. And I, I found one, and then I, I found another, and, and, and solidified a relationship. And it led to the next thing and the next thing. But, but after that, I, I, now I see God's people. I can tell. They may not all be called Baptists or whatever, but my spirit bears witness with their spirit that we are the children of God. And quite frankly, I'm enjoying making friendships. And I've been helped by many, many Christians that I've met, and I hope I've helped them. Okay, got to get to the point now. The world is the focal point of God's grace. Up till now, I've been talking about this wicked world, this devilish world, this dark kingdom. But now that the world is the focal point of God's grace, mercy, love, and truth. Now we're talking about the world of people that are lost in sin. God cares about their souls. He has made provision for them to be saved, delivered from the ungodly, satanic world that they are in. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Also, verse 14. 
And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Chapter 2, verse 2. I know I'm, I was going from, from left to right. I had, I'm going back. I saved this for last here. Chapter 2, verse 2. And He, Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I probably recently have talked about propitiation. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting who I said what to sometimes. Different messages I'm doing, different lessons. But propitiation. It's, it's a word that needs to be that, but you've got to put definition to it. It means the way of obtaining mercy. It means the appeasement. It means the satisfaction. God's righteous wrath is satisfied by what Jesus did on the cross. It's to be compared with the mercy seat where the blood was taken into the Holy of Holies and put there on that mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And God, in their case, postponed his wrath. It couldn't pay for it because that's animal blood, right? But when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Now we got the real thing. We got the real thing. Sin is actually taken away. And that's what propitiation is all about. So, so save the word. Keep practicing the right definitions to it. But he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. Jew, Gentile, male, female, communist, Democrat, Republican, you know, whatever. He came. To bring us so great salvation. And he's focused on that. And if we're with him, we need to be focused on that too. That's why next week we're going to talk about what are we going to do with the world. I'll give you a hint. You may not come back next week, especially after this week. I don't know. but uh, Three things. We need to escape the world. If you're not saved, if you're not a born-again person, you need to escape the world by coming to Christ. The second thing is we need to overcome the world. And that means now that we are technically not of the world, we've got to get some of that world out of us. Hopefully all of it, but you know, that's a lifelong process. And the third thing is reach back to the world. You know, separation from the world spiritually, yes. But literally isolation from the world? We have a thing called the rapture is going to take care of that. In the meantime, we're to reach back, find others, be like Jesus. He sacrificed himself to reach others. Now, now that you think you've heard next week's message, you won't come next week, right? Well, that's just a hint. Let's see how I can beef it up. But enjoy those references, Psalm 33, 5, 119, 64, 6, 1 through 3. Those are all telling you things like the whole earth is full of his goodness. Okay, I said earth, because that transcends that world kingdom thing. It's everywhere. Once you're born again, you see it. Now the question is, is anyone here needing to receive it today? You've heard the word of grace. You've heard the truth about the world that we are to uh, not love. You've heard the truth about a type of world that God loves. Are you ready to jump from one to the other? It's a simple matter of faith, but I want you to know what you're getting into. It's life-changing. You'll never get over it. 
You don't have to do a bunch of things first, but boy, will you do things afterwards as he takes charge of your life. Jesus Christ is not only Savior, he's Lord. And he's a very gentle shepherd. And he will guide you and lead you and he will feed you and he will correct you and he will be gracious to you. I know he's been gracious to me. Why wouldn't he be gracious to you? I've needed a lot of grace and you will too. But he's sufficient. As a matter of fact, Jesus is enough. He is more than enough. Let's say it. Jesus is enough. He is more than enough. Father, please touch hearts with whatever you intended them to have today. Help us to, that this message will keep talking to us this week. That these words will be um, alive and well lit in our mind and heart. That we'll know how to not love the world and that we'll know how to have the love of the Father. Which will give us not just better actions, but better discernment. What we do, may we do it out of love, even as what you did, you did out of love. And I pray you'll give faith where it's needed. If anyone here does not know Christ as Lord and Savior, may they come today in faith. Receive him and that free gift he gives. We who know you and love you, help us, Father, to be ever more dedicated to the things that you have given us. And may we keep discovering more and more of the wonderful things you have prepared for them that love you. And show us, Father, how to shine light and reach back into this world that there's people that were just like us. They need this same salvation. Use us, Father, to draw people from the world to Christ. And I ask it for his sake. Amen.